Thank you. All right, I'm, I'm on. Thank you. Um, I was uh, over after I got home last night. I kept thinking, John 1, by the way, Gospel of John. <clears throat> I kept thinking about um, the cup of blessing, and I didn't have time to talk a lot about um, what. You know, and I know that in, in obviously, in, in if you were here last night in Ephesians 1, where that the blessings are mentioned, <clears throat> I do realize that Ephesians 1's not a Lord's Supper um, passage, but, he, but Paul, is, and, and in Ephesians 1, he thoroughly deals with all the blessings that are ours in Christ. You know, he says all spiritual blessings, and then he goes on and lists about eight of them, down through like verse 16. And uh, so, you know, Christ came into the world and through the new birth, you know, we, we've, we've received the blessings that He earned. Uh, I always think about the, the word imputation. Uh, it's a big, big Bible word. But imputation is... My history was imputed to him. Now, this is in the mind of God before you ever were here. Uh, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But think about that now. Um, so my sins were imputed to Christ. And when Christ died, he was punished and bore my punishment and my guilt. But at the same time, Christ's history, his perfection were imputed to me. And um, I don't know if you ever pay much attention to this, but all through the Gospels, he calls the disciples, the disciples, the disciples. But towards the end of John's Gospel, and, and I think at the end of Luke, he calls the disciples brothers. And Jesus is the elder brother who's earned all the inheritance is his. But because we're his brothers and sisters in Christ, we get the, the inheritance that he earned. And if you read Ephesians 1, two or three times, that's what Paul mentions when he's talking about all these blessings. He keeps bringing up the inheritance that we have. Now, uh, we're not going there today. Obviously, we're pursuing something else in your little outline today. But when you think about the inheritance that we have through Christ, um, of course, you, you know, we've inherited... We've inherited is something you don't earn, right? Uh, 
It's given, it's distributed, given to you. It's a gift, okay? Well, if you sit down and think about part of our inheritance has to do with Christ's kingly rule. He, he, was, he was in the line of King David, right? He has the right to rule. Now, spiritually, he rules. He's king of king and lord of... But he's never ruled on the earth. But do you know what the Bible tells us? If you're a dispensationalist, do you know what the Bible says? Jesus is going to rule from this earth one day. And part of our inheritance is, I think, getting to rule with him. Having the blessings of, of being a, a ruler on this earth or in this universe. You know, it says, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. That's interesting. All saved people will reign with Christ for a thousand years. So I always think about what the, this tremendous blessings that are ours uh, in, in Christ. Um, if you notice in your, in your, when I say handout, I don't have to say that, in your bulletin at the, bot, the bottom of the outline, one of my new favorite verses is, uh, is in Hebrews 13.8 where it says... Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, Jesus never changes. So, the pre-incarnate, when I use the word, and again, I'm not trying to be wordy, but when you think about the pre-incarnate Christ, the Son that, that was existent, that existed with the Father in all eternity before He became a human being. Matter of fact, we really believe there were several of His appearances in the Old Testament. So the, the, pre-incarnate, the pre-incarnate Christ, or the, we call Him the Eternal Son. The Eternal Son, He has never changed. He's the same. And how He deal, dealt with sin in the Old Testament, how He deals with sin in the New Covenant, and how he's going to deal with sin when he reigns on this earth has, is all going to be the same. Uh, so when he, when he returns, that's why the Bible says when he comes back, I mean, he was born a king. Think about that. He was born a king, but he's never reigned. So if, if he was born in the line of David so he could be king, so he could rule, he's never ruled. So we know he's got to come back. I mean, this isn't a message today about the second coming, but He's going to come back and He's going to reign on this earth. And, and I love it because we're going to reign with Him. Christ never changes. Um, let me read John 1. i got too many things up here. John 1, I just want to read a couple of verses. And uh, look at... Uh, and this is the importance of Christ. Uh, I had a long discussion last night after church. Um, about uh, the, the deity of Christ and uh, why He alone is the, is the only God-man. He, he's the only true revelation of God the Father. Um, and, of course, y'all been, you know me, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not at all charismatic. You know that. And, uh, and there's a reason why uh, I'm not charismatic because I believe Christ is the one who reveals the Father. And then I believe that Christ said that when I'm gone, my word is going to reveal me and the Father. 
And that's, that's and the Spirit's going to do that through the Word. And, and some of this other stuff that goes on is not needed. And uh, anyway, look, look at what J- uh, John 1 says about Jesus. I'm going to skip a lot of it, but look at verse 14. Of course, verse 1 of 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, um, he was in the beginning with God. I mean, he's just talking about he was, he's eternal, right? Uh, he's with God. He is God. He's God. Um, all things were made through him and without him. I'm still in verse 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, all things were made through him and, and, and without him uh, was not anything. Anything made that was made in Him was life. And the life, His life, in Him was life. He, true living is in Christ. Real biblical, uh, historical, I mean spiritual life, it can only be found in Christ. In It's like when He said, I will build my church. It's His church. He and I... Uh, John 14, my peace I give with you. My peace I live with you. He owns this peace and He gives it. Well, He owns life. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. So, there's there's illumination. Those of us that have have the life of Christ, uh, some maybe for 50 years, others for 5 years, no matter who we are and how long we've been saved, along with that, that life is an illumination. There's light that comes with knowing Christ. Now just drop down to verse 14. Tell us a little bit about Jesus. It says, And, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen uh, that dwelt among us would be the word uh, tabernacled. He he tabernacled among us, which it reminds us it's temporary, just like in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was temporary. It was eventually going to have a building. He tabernacled among man, but, but he only did that for 33 years. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. And I know you've read this hundreds of times, but I want you to think through what it's saying. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Folks, that's exclusivity. Okay? We, that, alone, that verse alone uh, excludes there being any kind of salvation or revelation under God's character through any other means except through Christ and the words that we that he gave us, verse eighteen. I think Robbie, you read this yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Am I right, John one? You did. Look what it says. I'm always hearing these. Uh, I've listened to some of these TV preachers. I don't do it a lot, but I have listened or watched some of them and. Some of them have all these stories to tell about God showing up and talking to them person to person um, or meeting God, whatever. And you know what I'm talking about. And, but in John 1, 18, it says, No 
one has ever seen God. But then he says, the only God who is at the Father's side. Now that's a, some translations say the only Son, right? Some translations say the only Son. But it, it isn't the word weos for Son, it's the word theos for God. Okay? It's just reminding us Jesus is who? Jesus is God. But He's in human form. So, that, that's the original language says that. So, no one has ever seen God. Then it says, the only God who is at the Father's side, which is the Son. He has made Him known. Now, He has made Him known. Made Him known is a word that is... Um, Okay, like if you were to talk about the qualifications of a pastor or an elder, bishop, if you were to talk about the qualifications, the qualifications of a pastor or elder would be a, it's one of the qualifications is you have to be able to teach, okay? And when, when people teach the Bible, they explain the meaning of the text. That's what teaching does. There's a word that we call that. It's the word exegete. You don't care about the word. But the word exegete means to expose the, to expose the truth of the Bible. So teachers and preachers expose the truth in the application of the Bible. Well, that's exactly the same word here in John 1.18. Jesus shows and explains and displays the character of God. So if we want to know, if somebody wants to say I love God, I want to know that that God is is the son is the father of the son. There's a lot of gods. You know, people say, "Well, I love God." I people tell me that all the time. But I want to know what God do they love? Is it the father of our Lord Jesus Christ or is it a god of their own making? And I have to warn you, even believers make God, as in we try to make the God of the Bible something that He's not. So if we want to know Him, the only way we're going to know Him correctly is to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why the baby was born, was to reveal to us the Father and to save sinners. And, and the Father, the Bible says the Father is glorified by that. That's how the Father is glorified, that Christ reveals Him and saves sinners. Now, your little handout. So since Christ alone is God in human form and has revealed the Father and the Father's will to mankind, I just thought I would uh, give you a little outline about some of the, I guess, some of the characteristics of who Christ is. I think about, uh, you know, if you were to have a, a th I don't know if you, you have New Year's resolutions. If you, uh, we all, well, I make them every year, and usually I break them, but, but we all make them. Um, but if you were to make a spiritual New Year's resolution, let me give you one to make. Uh, this is found in the Scriptures. It's pretty easy. It's... Uh, we can follow the example of John the Baptist, okay? 
in John 3, 30, John the Baptist says, He, speaking of Christ, He must increase. I must decrease. Yeah, that's a good New Year's resolution. He must increase. And that word increase is the word used for planting and, and reaping, but also of physical maturity. It's used both ways. So he must increase, grow in my life, produce in my life. He must increase in me. In me, I must decrease. I must be done away with. That would be a good New Year's resolution. And in order to do that, then we have to know the attributes or the character of the things that Jesus came to do. So let me just give you the answers. Of the, first, the first part just kind of is kind of a, a, a setting of, of what I'm going to talk about in those little statements at the bottom. Uh, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, says for the joy, here's the first answer. Now I want you to think about how profound this is. It says for the joy, well, we got a minute. Go to Hebrews 12. The answer is joy. For the joy set before Him. Go to Hebrews 12 and, and look at what the rest of this verse says. What He had joy over something. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm Hebrews 12, I'll just read beginning at verse 1. It says, Therefore, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and of course those witnesses that the writer of Hebrews is referring to, are found in chapter 11, okay? He just, all these saints of old that loved the Lord and by faith did all these things. So, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely we all have besetting sins, sins that we on a regular basis deal with. It might be, uh, might be bad language. Last night, one of the encounter that I was talking with somebody, their, one of their greater issues is a foul mouth. And so that's a besetting sin for them. And uh, so we all have... So we want to get rid of every weight uh, and also the, especially the ones that cling so closely. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about, it seems as if the writer of Hebrews is using this uh, word picture. When, when athletes would train, especially runners, um, they would train with weights in their hands. They would run with, and that's common today. Uh, and so when they got ready to race, to run the event, they would obviously not carry the weights, and so they would set those aside, 
and run more freely. Would make sense. It's good training. Uh, Chris is going to, is it a triathlon? Mar- what are you fixing to do? Oh, a marathon. Marathon. When is that? End of January. I wish I could do it with you. Come on. I could drive it. Can I drive with you? Okay. But um, so there's training that takes place. Well, in those days, to train when they got ready to run. Obviously, there's, so if you and I, if we go back to our little theme thought, he must increase, I must decrease. Well, in order for that to happen, I need to get rid of my sin. I need to be repentant and need to be obedient. I mean, you have that exchange. So here, so these, you know, it says, since we're surrounded by, so let us, now it's time for us to do it, to run, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so close and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Uh, Paul really talks heavily about that in, in Philippians 3. He makes Jesus the victory pole, uh, the finish pole. They didn't have finish lines. They had finish poles, sticks almost in the ground, and, and that's the line they were running for. And And that for us is Jesus. So we're... Running, that's, that's who we're looking at. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's, folks, that's the alpha and the, everything about our faith. It's about Christ. Who created, who created saving people and them growing spiritually? Who, who came up with that? Christ did. Who's going to finish it? You or Christ? Christ has. I mean, so He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We'd almost, uh, a synonym of that would be to be Christ-like. I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, who for the joy that was set before Him. Here, look what the joy is. For the joy set before Him, because of the joy set before Him, endured the cross despising the shame and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, for the joy that was set before Him, that allowed Him to endure the cross and despising the shame. He he surrendered Himself to that for the joy that was set before Him. Now, I don't know everything about the joy that was set before Christ, but I know one of them. That the Bible says that when I see Him, I will be like Him. I will be immediately transformed into His image. That's one of the things that's joy that was set before Him. Is a whole, is a whole kingdom of people in His image. That's the joy. That's one of them I know of. So, for the joy set before Him... Uh, and think about the joy. So if that's His joy, that should be our joy. So for the joy set before Him. And then in Hebrews 4, for a great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies. Now, that, what that's talking about is Christ, where Christ eternally existed. Let's just learn something. Now, we may run out of time, but that's okay. Um, go to John, Hold your finger... Uh, well, don't have to hold your finger here. Go to John 17. Go to the Gospel of John 17. Let me show you. This. So, 
the second little thing says, a great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies. It's talking about he, he left there, came here, and went back to there. Uh, Jesus talked about that even after the resurrection. Um, but John 17, look at what John 17, the first couple of verses says. Um, Jesus is talking, we call this, the high, if you have a study Bible, when you get to John 17, it'll say the high priestly prayer. Because this is an intimate conversation that Jesus is having with the Father. He's praying to the Father and obviously John hears it. Um, or he knows somebody who hears it because he's the only one that records it, right? This isn't in the other synoptics that John records it. Um, but li- listen to what it says. And when Jesus had spoken these words, you know, this is, you know, um, this is towards the end of his life. You know, the, the, the arrest, the betrayal and the arrest is right there, okay? Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given Him authority over all flesh. Do you see what the glory is? To give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. Okay? Remember, salvation is God's. God planned it. Christ secured it. The Spirit applies it. The Gospel message, that's why the Bible often calls it the Gospel of God. God planned it. Christ secured it. The Spirit applies it. So Jesus here in His prayer is telling the Father, all these that you're going to save and give to me, since you've given, and then He says, since you've given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And and then He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now let me keep reading. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Look what he says. Are you looking at your Bibles? With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So, in this prayer, Jesus is looking forward to returning to the glory that he had with the Father before, Gen- before Genesis 1, 2, and 3 ever happened, before God created anything. They had this intimate union, and he reigned with the Father. You know, so he, he's going to go back to that. You know? so, that's an in- so our second one says, A great high priest who has passed through the heavenlies. He came with the Father in eternity past, chose to come to, come to earth, redeem pay the redemptive price, has ascended back to the Father. Third one says, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. I love that. Hebrews 12, 23. It's just a, it's one of those passages of the gathering of the saints according to Hebrews 12. And it just says, the, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. 
Hebrews 12, 23. Now, this little outline that I have here, uh, they all start with L's, okay? And I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, on each one of them, but I just want you... So I'm just trying to tell you, who is, who is this Christ that reveals to us the Father? Who is this God become Emmanuel, God become man? Who, who is He? And so I just picked uh, several of these little uh, key, key thoughts in the New Testament to kind of explain who He is. Number one, He's the light of the world. We, yeah, and y'all know that you could fill these in even without me. Uh, he's the light of the world. Now, I'm using John eight twelve to mention, and there's more than one other place that, you know, more than one place in John where he's called the light. But in John eight twelve, it, there's the light of the world. Now, <clears throat> the feast, Jesus does that. He says this, and I'm just going to, you don't have to turn there. I'll paraphrase it. When Jesus says this, and He shouts it, you know, I'm the light of the world. Follow me, you won't walk in darkness. It was on the last day of the feast, okay? Uh, the feast of uh, tabernacles, the feast of booths. And uh, what, what had happened is for the, for the six days, they were... For six solid days, morning and night, there, the, there was these, they would erect these massive menorahs in, in, in Jerusalem. And these, these candelabras, I think I read somewhere they were 60 feet, and, and they would fill the oil and they would burn all the time. And so even at night, according to Josephus, it was daytime at the night, right? So during this feast, even at nighttime, there was light in and around Jerusalem. Okay, well, on the last day, not a, by the way, there was also uh, water libation, sacrifices made, but on the last day, there was no water poured out, neither was there light. Okay, it's, and so it's very a stark difference between what has been for six days, and then on the seventh day, there's nothing. And then Jesus says with a loud voice, I'm the light, but He doesn't say of Jerusalem. He doesn't say, I'm the light of the Jews. What does He say? Light of the world. The Jews were supposed to be the light of the world when God called those people. They were supposed to evangelize the world. In our sense, evangelize. But they failed. They ended up being like the world. Every nation they would get around, they'd end up worshiping their gods and they wouldn't live for the God of Israel. And, you know, so now Christ is the true vine. So, so He's the light of the world. So, but here's the truth. If He's the light of the world, if you follow anything else, you're walking in darkness. There you go. So, uh, this one who's... Re this, this Word become flesh is the light of the world. The second one, his, He's the Lamb without blemish. And, and if you'll remember, last, he's the lamb without blemish. And, you know, it's a great story. But even the first Passover, I know you remember this, but on the week of Passover, now I go back to the first Passover, whether it's the first Passover or the 1700 years of Passover. 
at the beginning of week, the, the, fe uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the beginning of Passover week, on Monday, they would go pick the lamb. Now, they're going to sacrifice it on Friday. Or it's according to what, how, what Jew it was and which calendar they're using. Some would start Thursday night, some would do it Friday. But they were going to sacrifice it Thursday night or Friday because there's a 24-hour period they'd be sacrificing. But they would take it on Monday and they would take this lamb and they'd bring it in their home. It was a pet. By the way, there's a couple of times where it talks about Christ the lamb and it uses the word pet lamb in the Hebrew and Greek. Interesting. And so they would bring it and it was personal. So it became a buddy in the house. Like, it'd be like your little doggy running around for four days and petting him and feeding him and giving him a bottle and, and then all of a sudden you slit its neck. But it's what you have to do to make atonement for sin. Well, Christ is the lamb without blemish. He, and by the way, we learned yesterday, last night, that, that one of the blessings of being saved is we are also without blemish when we stand before the Father. That's, now, eternal life is great. All that, the new nature, no sin nature, all that's fair. But to think that we're without blemish is how the Greek reads when we stand before the, because of Christ. And you know you're not without blemish. You've already blemished yourself on Christmas morning. I, I sinned enough this morning to send all of us to hell. You have too. But because of Christ, that lamb without blemish has been our substitute. Folks, listen, this is, this is the gift of Christ. And I hope... I mean, I know everybody's do, done Christmas already with their kids, but I hope with grandkids and children, this is part of the conversation, the gift. There's no greater gift than that. To have your sins forgiven and to be to a holy God who cannot be approached with unright, to, to be able to stand before Him unblemished. It's just in, so He's the Lamb without blemish. You can read that in 1 Peter 1. Number three. I think this may be one of my favorite, and I dealt with this last night in a conversation. Last, he's the last Adam. I also mentioned it during the sermon yesterday, last night. He's the last Adam. And that's a, that's a biblical worldview thing to think about. You know, that there's the first Adam, and we're all descendants of him. And then Paul brings up in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ is the last Adam. So we're all descendants of the first Adam. And then you have to ask yourself, are you a descendant of the last Adam? Because if you are, then the Bible says you have to have been born again to do it. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He said you must be born again or you must be born from above. It's a spiritual thing. You, you, you can't do it. You, you can't birth yourself. You have to be born from above. And so is that who you are? Have you, have you ha has the second Adam or the last Adam given you life? Uh, this is why Peter, even though Peter's not using the same figure of speech, this is why Peter uses the word sperma. The seed of God births you. That through the Word and the Spirit, it germinates, it produces life outside of you. So he is the last Adam. Also in 1 Corinthians 15, you have the next answer. Jesus 
in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's 45, is called life-giving spirit. Now, obviously, I'm not giving you full sentences for the sake of space. He's a, it technically reads a life-giving spirit. Je, so Jesus is, the spirit is so much like Jesus that not only is Christ considered the last Adam, but Christ is considered a life-giving spirit. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit and Christ are two different persons in the one Godhead. There's three persons in one God. But they're so much alike, Jesus can be called a life-giving spirit. So this is how I can say, and it be true, that Jesus is in me. And, and when we talk to children sometimes about being saved, we say, you want to ask Jesus in your heart. Now, I don't particularly like the way we say that. There's better ways to say it. But I understand why we say that. Because obviously Jesus physically can't be in there, but, but spiritually, oh, I didn't know you are here, Griff. Hey, Griff. Uh, um, I thought Bonnie did a great job. By the way, Bonnie had the flu, but him, her and Griff. And some of you have been sick all week and came to church. Thank you for being here. Um, uh, I know Bonnie and Griff were sick all week. Robbie's got sick children at home. And if you've been around Robbie at all, you know he's sick to begin with. But... but <laughs> Anyway, so thank you for being here. It's such a blessing. By the way, the first lady of Redland, Diane, has COVID. And she's got a good dose of it too. So uh, I don't know why I got off on that. Oh, Griff, it was your fault. So the life-giving spirit. So, so, so when this why it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual birth. You, you can't do this yourself. It's, so when the spirit... The, Yes, and Jesus said that if you read John 14, 15, and 16, He says the Spirit will do and say everything I tell it. And then I say and do everything the Father tells me. So Jesus is a life-giving Spirit. Um, so it's a spiritual relationship you have with Christ. But He's a person. And it's true. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it may surprise you, but... If you're going to claim His name, you live like He lived. Peter and Paul argue that. James, the half-brother of Christ, mentions that. If you're going to claim Him, you live like Him. And one way you do that is His Spirit's inside of you. His Spirit, who He is, His Spirit, His nature. So the, la the next one, so life gives, uh, the next one is Lord of Lords. Um, I'm, I'm over time, so let's stop here, okay? So, let me give you all the answers, but I'm going to stay at Lord of Lords, okay? So, He's Lord of Lords. He's the living bread that came down from heaven. That is a great one. I could spend a whole service talking about that. And then the last one is a Revelation 22 or 21 passage where the lamp is the lamb, Okay? The lamb, without, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world is describing that the new Jerusalem doesn't need the sun because the light is the lamb, right? Uh, or the lamp of the city is the lamb. That's what it says in, in uh, I think, around Revelation 21, chapter, verse 23 or 24. So it's Lord living and lamp if you're filling in your things. Now, let's, I'm, I, I'm looking at my clock. I'm five minutes over. 
Okay, but you still can probably beat a lot of people to the restaurant. Well, they're not even open. What are you going to do? You can't go anywhere. Um, let's finish with this. This is a, you know this verse. Go to Matthew. Go to Matthew twenty-eight. Matthew twenty-eight. Now again, while you're finding that, let me mention to you: this is why God's word matters. I. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible. I believe the Bible is infallible, inerrant. I believe every word that God, you know, just as it says what Paul says, that we're, it's God-breathed. It's uh, theo-pneumatic. It, 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 God breathed through men who just happened to have the privilege of pinning it down. But it's His word, okay? It's not their word. It's God's breath. This book is God's breath. And, uh, and in Matthew 20, this is the Great Commission. But I want you to notice what it says uh, in verse, uh, let me just pick up verse uh, 16. How about that? Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. Now the eleven disciples, that's interesting, isn't it? there's not twelve right now, is there? No. They've got to replace him in the book of Acts because uh, Judas. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. You ever think about how, you don't think about how far that is. We read it, but until you go there and realize that, and it's hilly, it's, it's not flat terrain when you're going north from Jerusalem to Galilee. I mean, it's up. Hills, anyway, mountains, and say it's it's in my mind. It's either forty or sixty miles. It's a long way. And they were riding camels or or donkeys or walking. I mean, it's just so. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they this is after the resurrection. Okay, they were right at the ascension. Okay. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'll just stop there. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's lots of words in the Bible that's translated with our English word authority. Uh, sometimes the same word can be translated power. Uh, not that this word is, the original word is unusual, but it's, it's what the word really means that's profound to me. It's not the word dynamite, you know, because you could say that that all authority, you could say this, and it would be true that dynamite, it's a Greek word, dynamis, that Jesus has all power, all dy- and He does, because He's God. But that's not the word. The word He uses, which you don't care about the word, but it's the word exousia. And, and it's, it's authority that's been given because of somebody's worthiness. And, and so... 
but it's absolute. So it, it, it's, an, it's an authority that's been, basically you say an, an authority that's been inherited because of who you are. Like, like the Father surmised that who deserves to have all authority? And the Father says, it's going to be my Son. And so Christ has all the authority. And one scholar, I love this, this way he put it, uh, some scholars say it's ruling authority over all man, judicial authority, physical authority, uh, absolute liberty, absolute privileges. And it says, and even the definition would say to do whatever, to do as one pleases. Uh, and no one can, can respond to that. You can do whatever you want. But anyway, one scholar, and this will finish, he translated the word universal jurisdiction. So, to have all authority is to have universal jurisdiction. So He is Lord of Lords. He has authority over everything. Over judgment. Over salvation. He has all authority. And this is why we worship the baby born in Bethlehem of Judea nearly 2,000 years ago. Amen? Let's stand together. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. We love You, Lord. Thank You for Your grace and mercy. Oh, God, thank You for salvation. Thank You for the light that's come into the world of darkness. Thank You for the Lamb without blemish. Father, thank You that He's Lord. Thank You that Jesus has universal jurisdiction. And that same Jesus has saved me from my sins. Lord, may how we live and what we say and do honor You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you all. Have a great Merry Christmas. If I don't